Normal Americans know what's going on, and I'm normal. Mmm, debatable. Actually, maybe he is normal. Scary part. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Nah, not really. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast as heard on KPFK. 90.7 FM people-powered radio in L.A. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, the Green Renaissance Network. And in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. Also heard on KZAKS 94.9 FM in Bellingham, Washington and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Also, uh, we are streaming as usual, as ever. On the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. You're nice enough, I thank, guess. Thank, <laughs> thank you very much, <laughs> uh, Senator Obama. Uh, welcome to the show. That, of course, is Desi Doyen, our old friend, our producer. Uh, and all-around swell gal. And all-around swell gal says she. <laughs> also from bradblog.com. Yeah, it's been that kind of a year. We're just we're just hanging out, just crawling over the finish line at this point, it feels <laughs> like, aren't we? Running on fumes. Yes, on we fumes are. Indeed, we are. We'll we'll be taking off a, a, a bit for the holidays uh, after today, but we will have fresh shows for you every weekday with our guest hosts. So uh, you're welcome. Uh, truth, you know, never takes a holiday here at the Bradcast. Uh, but while I've been, we, we've been talking a lot about problems, obviously for good reason in this nation. Uh, I thought it might be nice to to leave you with some solutions uh, to to at least some of our woes, at least possible solutions, and at least when it comes to elections, actual things, actual things that Democrats and progressives can do right now, right now at the state level. To fix what uh, what you may have noticed, if you listen to the broadcast with any regularity, or frankly, any random five minutes, uh, you might have noticed our, our electoral system is uh, shameful, woefully shameful. But there are things that can be done to fix it. While uh, Trump is uh, creating a disaster at, at the federal level, um, Democrats and progressives can do something about this fine mess at the state level. 
Uh, and, and so rather than be on the defensive to protect voting rights against these increasingly uh, these Republican increasing attacks on on the franchise of voting. And there's going to be more. There is going to be more. There are things that progressives can change in states where Democrats are still in power, either in the state legislature or in the governor's mansion or both. We're going to talk about some of those things shortly because they they, they make a big difference. We'll talk about that with uh, with my guests coming up and and. Um, and hopefully give you something affirmative, something positive that you can do to improve our democracy uh, while some of us are taking a few days off for the holidays. And even as the resistance to obviously to GOP extremism must get underway, is getting underway in the new year. Uh, but there are also proactive things that can be done. We'll speak with Daniel Nishanian. Nishanian about his new article, The Voting Rights Manifesto, a state-by-state plan to defend democracy. Now, it's not a great title. I told you I was running on fumes. It's, it's not a great title, frankly, at, uh, at Vox.com, uh, since it's more than just defending democracy. It's actually a proactive plan to spread democracy in these United States, which I'm told is the world's greatest democracy. I've been told that since I'm a kid, so that must be true. But other than that... We got some problems and we need to fix them. And, and there is a way to do that. Uh, so more on that shortly. <clears throat> also today, uh, Desi Doyen will be back with us with the Green News Report. Yep. Our year end Green News Report. And it is a very busy one, uh, especially with the Arctic absolutely melting. Yeah. 40 to 50 degrees above normal. Nah, that's not right weird now. at all. Uh, yeah. Polar night, it's total darkness, Days freezing before in the North Pole, but it's above melting. It's that's actually mind-blowing. Uh, and, and we don't have enough time to actually get into the details in the Green News report on just how insane it is. Maybe we'll have some time later. But there was one thing that I, I did want to hit just because, you know, we play those snarky comments at the top of uh, the Green News report. Oh, yeah. Um and all throughout sometimes. This one we did not have time for. But it is so insane that I, f I feel like I need to play it. Uh, so let's play this. Do you have this Bill Cunningham uh, guys on Fox News with Sean Hannity? And this is the kind of stuff. I mean, you know that this is what the right wingers are constantly doing everywhere, certainly on Fox News when it comes to global warming. And and yeah, we're at the end of what is looks like it's going to be the third year in a row of the uh, hottest global temperatures ever. Uh, and and yet there are still out there pretending this is some, you know, scandal, some hoax by scientists who are making big money because, you know, the scientists, they bring in the big bucks. You hear a lot of people say, you know, for years they've been saying, oh, follow the money. You know, the scientists are going to make money studying global warming. Well, you know, if you want to follow the money, uh, the most profitable industry in the history of the planet is the petroleum industry, is the energy industry. Those are the guys making the big bucks. In any event, uh, this guy is just so insane. I wanted to play it and call him out for being insane, if that's OK. At it end. works for me. Bill Cunningham on uh, Fox News's Sean Hannity show. Follow the money. Think of the control of fossil fuels and natural gas and pipelines. There's no money in global cooling. The money's in global warming. Oh, yeah. And ching, 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 Al Gore's now a billionaire because of man-made <laughs> global warming. It is a farce. It's not true. Sean yeah. Hannity, normal Americans know what's going on, and I'm normal. 
Okay, there's that normal <laughs> guy, Bill Cunningham. Really? Ching, ching, ching. Follow the money. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't think Al Gore is a billionaire. No, I could be wrong. No, I he's don't not, think he's a billionaire. You know. it, but it's it's the weirdest sort of hypocrisy when oh, it's okay to make your millions um, on fossil fuels, but oh, if you're Al Gore and you make millions from some new innovation, oh, that's terrible. And he made the money by in whatever by money does have. Investing in renewable energy. Investing in renewable energy, which is you know, frankly, blowing the petroleum, blowing fossil fuels away as far as how quickly it's spreading, as far as the number of jobs it brings. But that's the kind of insanity. That's the kind of brainwashing. That's the kind of brain addling that continues to go on even today on Fox News. Um, ching, ching, ching. <laughs> Follow the money. The, the money is in global warming. The scientists. Yes, I agree with this jackass Bill Cunningham. Follow the money. Follow the money when it comes to climate change. The money is in fossil fuels. Those are the guys who are spending the money right now to try to save their lives, uh, even as the Arctic is melting thanks to what they do. All right. Uh, a couple of things uh, before we get to our guest here uh, shortly. We're not going to have time for the details here, uh, but North Carolina, what what they're doing up there? We've been talking about the power grab, the coup that is going on up there. Well, they the uh, Republicans in the state assembly finally said they were going to get rid of this anti-LGBT bill. But it is like Lucy and Charlie Brown with the football. They said, yes, we will get we will do away with this. Uh, this anti-LGBT bill that has cost the state so much in in money, in jobs, in tourism, in uh, all-star basketball games, uh, championship games, and so forth, uh, and frankly, in reputation. Uh, it has cost them so much, and it has now also cost the Republicans the governorship of North Carolina. So the Republicans in the uh, state assembly, as part of this uh, special session i think they're now they were on about their fourth special session they um they said you know what we got to repeal this hb2 we just got to get rid of it it's killing us it's killing the state uh but we're not going to do it unless charlotte the town of charlotte who had passed a uh, a bill to keep LGBT people from being discriminated against. That's what started this whole mess. They passed this bill that said you cannot uh, discriminate against uh, gay people, transgender people. And the state Republicans went crazy. They put in this law that rolled back the local bill. Uh, that was HB2. Uh, so what the Republicans in the state assembly said was, all right, if Charlotte, as long as Charlotte gets rid of its um, anti-discrimination bill will get rid of our pro-discrimination bill. So sure enough, Charlotte said, OK, we'll do it. We'll finally do it just, you know, to so we can get some business back here in Charlotte again, back here in North Carolina again. We will do it. And first they said, all right, we'll 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 undo it. But uh, the Republicans have to change the bill at the state, the HB2. They have to repeal that by the end of the year. And the Republicans started balking on that, even though they had promised they were going to do it. And so Charlotte said, OK, fine, we'll get rid of the law entirely. And the Republicans at the state level said, thank you very much. We are adjourning. Special session is over. And once again, Charlie Brown goes tumbling, even though Lucy had said, seriously, I'm going to hold the football for you this time. Democrats keep falling for this over and over and over again. 
And that happened in North Carolina. And I wish I could get into the details, but I can't because I have to get to my guest here shortly. And I want to set up. uh, But I just want to let you know that happened since we're going to be gone for a few days. Uh, Don't trust. Democrats need to learn to not trust Republicans. They are not interested in working together. They usually don't say they want to work together. But even when they say they want to work together, they don't want to work together. They're not interested. Democrats, stop falling for it. Okay, Uh, very quickly, uh, up in uh, Wisconsin, this uh, story, just one of these stories, we've been reading a lot of these this year that drive me absolutely crazy. But this from the L.A. Times this week, Uh, starting with John F. Kennedy's victory over Richard Nixon in 1960, Delia Anderson had voted in 14 straight presidential elections. She had cast her ballot at the same polling place for years. There was never a glitch this year, however. A volunteer driving to, driving her to the polls mentioned that she would be asked to show a state-approved photo ID. Anderson said, don't these poll people already know who I am? She's 77 years old. She's black. She uses a wheelchair. And she started frantically sifting through her purse for anything to prove her identity. But it was a lost cause. She had planned to vote for Hillary Clinton. But instead, for the first time in 56 years, she did not cast a ballot. Lord have mercy, she said. What happened to voting? Jaweed Kaleem at L.A. Times points out that there are uh, tons of these stories now coming out, uh, particularly from Milwaukee in Wisconsin, a Democratic stronghold where Donald Trump uh, won the state by 22,000 votes. Um. And it was obviously key to his winning the presidency. But the state saw its lowest turnout in 20 years. Uh, Nearly 250,000 people voted in Milwaukee, but that was roughly 40,000 voters fewer than the last presidential election. The Milwaukee County Clerk, Joe Sarnecki, uh, said, I believe it was voter suppression laws from the state government that crushed turnout. And they tend to hit hardest on people who are poor, who don't drive and who don't have a license, people who are often minorities. Well, there are studies now uh, underway uh, because hundreds of thousands of people uh, were registered to vote in Wisconsin, but did not have the photo ID cards that are now required by the uh, by the state Republicans there. And uh, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker has said, uh, hey, it's working great. The law is working great. There's really no problem. Delia Anderson, she can go to hell. Actually, he didn't say that, but that's what he was, of course, thinking because that's what he has done. Well, he did say it's working. It's probably yeah, working exactly as right. he intended it to work. It is working exactly as, as he intended. And uh, at the same time, other states are looking at this. Other Republican-controlled states are looking at this and saying, yeah, this is what we ought to do. This is a great idea. Look how well it worked in Wisconsin. Now, we'll have more on this, I suspect, after the, uh, after the first of the year because there's more studies trying to actually quantify uh, you know, get empirical numbers on this where possible, how many people were actually deterred from voting because of these laws in Wisconsin. But Republicans ain't waiting uh, to uh, until those numbers come in to pass these restrictive laws. But what are Democrats doing? Yes, there are places where Democrats still control the governor's mansion, still control, control the state house. 
And are they only sitting around waiting to defend against these Republican restrictions on the franchise? The answer too often is yes, which is kind of crazy. Uh, there are things that they should proactively be doing to spread democracy. We're going to talk about that next with my guest, Daniel Nishanian. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yeah. Right now. Do it right now, Democrats. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. You know, often in the run-up to elections, folks begin to get concerned about voter suppression, electronic voting, and tabulation systems, and they frantically start uh, trying to take action and asking me, what can we do? What can be done? Well, that's that's often when there are just weeks uh, or your days or even a month or two before Election Day. By then, as I have explained over and over, it is by and large too late to do actually anything uh, to change the processes and to change the voting systems, etc. So that's one of the reasons why I beg and plead for people to pay attention to this issue when, <clears throat> when there is not an impending election uh, coming up. And, well, when it comes to voter suppression and voting rights, uh, the time to do something about it is, yes, right now. Specifically, when it comes to voting rights, Daniel Nashanian writes recently at Vox.com, Democrats have been on the defensive. Boy, howdy, for a long time. Uh, they have been fighting voter suppression efforts and new restrictions in court, even as they face the prospect of an increasingly hostile federal judiciary. Much of this defensiveness, writes uh, Nishanian, comes from a straightforward imbalance in political power, given how few states are in Democratic hands right now. But it also reflects a failure to seize opportunities when they do present themselves on November 29, for instance, the Illinois House failed to overturn Republican Governor Bruce Rauner's veto of an automatic registration bill that happened, even though Democrats held enough seats in the chamber to do so on a party line. In 2015, Kentucky's Democratic Governor Steve Bashir signed an executive order restoring voting rights to approximately 140,000 ex-felons. Well, that's good. But he waited to do so until the waning days of his governorship, just two weeks before he was to re be replaced by a Republican, Matt Bevin. That left little time for organized efforts to register the newly enfranchised citizens before the Republican takeover. 
and Bevin rescinded Bashir's executive order just three weeks after taking office. Of course, to be fair, Bevin was uh, predicted to uh, to lose that Kentucky election. And in a uh, shocking upset, sound familiar? The Republican won that one in Kentucky and rolled back the Democratic governor's reforms on voting rights. Progressive activists and Democratic politicians must coalesce around a proactive voting rights agenda, says Nishanian, one that they can act swiftly on whenever they get the chance. Ah, there's an idea, a proactive agenda to expand the franchise rather than just defending it against Republican restrictions. Joining us now to talk about his big idea piece recently published at Vox detailing all of this is Daniel Nishanian. He's a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Chicago and a contributor to 538.com and Daily Coast Elections. And if I must say, a must follow on the Twitters at Daniel. Daniel Nishanian, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. Great to have you here. Really appreciate it. And as I say, I really have been a fan for a long time. Thank All right. Uh, Democrats, uh, before we get into the, the, the meat of your Vox.com piece, Democrats, uh, they only control the, the, the full government, both the you know governor's mansion and the state houses in six states. But you say in those six states, California, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Oregon and Rhode Island, they can take action now, and and otherwise they can also take action in some states where all they need is control of just the governor's office or even just the state house. So you argue also they need to be ready when and if they take over more states. But uh, you know, Daniel, what the hell is the holdup? I mean, I've been I've been trying to get Democrats' attention on issues like photo ID voting restrictions for more than a decade now. I mean, I remember back in 2004, I could only get folks like uh, John Conyers and a few other Democrats in Congress at best to raise holy hell about you know, what we're now seeing, uh, uh, you know, getting passed by Republicans all over the country. Why do you think Democrats have not understood what they are up against when it comes to voting rights uh, for so many years? I think that that's a great question. Um, I think something you said in your intro um, made me think that Democrats have to stop thinking that the GOP will just lose elections and um, and not take actions to actually make make sure that happens Um action being to make sure to expand voting rights in the states where they have opportunities to do so. Um, the the fact that we all thought that Bevin might lose the Kentucky governor's race was mm-hmm. not a reason for Fred Bichir to not prepare for the possibility that he would, just as we are seeing now with the type of actions that uh, President Obama is trying to take at the last minute to prepare for President Trump. Um, jokes aside, if that's a joke um i it just it just seems that the democratic party has not been at the forefront of the voting rights issue uh, in the past few years i think part of it is that the republican party the, the issue has really come to a head since the wave of republican takeovers of state houses in 2010 and 2014 where the republican party really prioritized in state after state putting in place uh, a very ambitious and consistent agenda of its own to curtail voting rights. And the way in which it has really come to a head, has, the, the extent to which it has come to a head, has been um, on, on ex- 
respected the extent to which the Republican Party has prioritized this issue, it keeps taking the uh, Democrats by surprise. We just saw this in North Carolina this mm-hmm. week. Um, we're, we're about to see it in New Hampshire um, in, in a few weeks where when the Republican Party is going to take office for the first time in a decade and they've, and they've already prepared a list of voting rights um, issues they're going to tackle. The Democratic Party just hasn't been prioritizing this. There, there's a lot of work being done on this by, by, uh, by, by a lot of pro- 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 progressives, either activists, um, or, or, or groups like like or groups like the ACLU or the NAACP, mm-hmm. um, and, and as you mentioned, a lot of people a lot of people have been trying to talk about this. But when the Democratic Party has power, in many places it just they, they don't really get their act together to think about what has to be done on this issue and get and actually get it done. Which is amazing, since uh, you know they have been so affected, and uh, uh, you know so many of their constituents are directly affected by this. Whether it's felon disenfranchisement uh, or these photo ID restrictions that I've talked about, uh, so let's go through some of them. One of the things I liked about your piece at Vox was it's proactive. It's what Democrats can do right now, uh, even in a whole bunch of states where they they're still not uh, where you know where they where they control both the governor's mansion and the state house, and they're still not doing uh, taking the kind of proactive steps they need to take. Uh, so let's let's talk about some of these big ideas you have. Uh, you've got uh, a number of them in, in several different categories. So let's try to sort of walk through them. Uh, ways to expand voter registration. And you list about three or four. Um, l- let's start with automatic voter registration, because that's something that we have finally put in place out here in California. Uh, but it took many years with, you know, Democrats in control of, you know, a lot of this state before they even thought about putting in place automatic voter registration. So what does that mean and where else could it be put in place? Um, that's right. So automatic voter registration is, has actually been a rare success story of progressive mm-hmm. lawmaking in recent years because as of, uh, as of 2015, zero states had automatic voter registration mm-hmm. and now six states, as you mentioned, including California, um, have it. So this has been a rare issue that has sort of has captured the imagination of the coalition of pro- progressive politicians and um, pro- progressive activists and, and democratic politicians. So, so, so what automatic voter registration does essentially is that when a prospective voter, a potential voter who is not yet registered, comes into contact with a government agency, um, in, especially the DMV, the government agency automatically registers that potential voter mm-hmm. who is eligible to vote but has not yet registered. That voter is then automatically added to the voter rolls. In the states that have passed this, there is an option to opt out. So the citizen who is being registered would have the opportunity to opt out of being registered automatically. But, that, but, but the idea there is because there's uh, millions of people across the country who are eligible to vote but are not uh, registered to vote. And every year, um, a whole bunch of organizations spend spend a lot of resources, a lot of money uh, concentrating on registering people to vote, right? right. We, we, we all have seen the registration. Yeah. So the idea is to skip over that and have the government um, bypass, the uh, government take care of the process, right? Um, and, and six states have six states have done this in just the past year and a half, including, as you mentioned, California. Um, it, it has just started to come into effect um, in 2016 in those states, or even in some of them in 2017. So it's a very new process. What is very exciting is that there's already evidence that this is a, lo- this is a policy that is pleasing and persuasive to the broader electorate, even in places where Democrats are not in power. In, in, in Alaska, 
um, the Alaska, this policy was just put in front of the voters in November in a referendum, mm-hmm. which obviously California is very, uh, very um, familiar with, and it passed uh, by 26 points. In, wow. in, in, in Alaska. And Alaska therefore joined um, the, the five other states that had already passed the migration. So this is a way to, in, across the country, in every state that has a potential referendum process, to revolutionize the way in which voter registration is done by getting rid of this, of this process that, that prevents a lot of people from voting because of the early deadlines for a whole bunch of reasons, and to make sure that the government is taking care of registering so I go uh, in. So, so if I go into the uh, uh, DMV to sign up uh, to get a driver's license, I will automatically be put on the voting rolls unless I otherwise opt out. That seems, Correct. yeah, that seems to make sense. They already know who I am. They know where I live. They have my address. So why should I have to go an extra step uh, to register to vote? Okay, same-day voter registration. Now, this is used in, mm-hmm. in some places, and, of course, Republicans are trying to roll this back anywhere they can because, you know, it allows you to wait until Election Day to go in and get registered. Um, wh- why aren't we seeing this in more Democratic uh, uh, states at this point? So for, for every policy that we're going to talk about, I think that we need to say here that what, what the people in California who listen to us may not realize is that in, across the country, the voting laws are much more strict mm-hmm. um, than, than they are in California, especially in the Northeast, which, which I think you would think is um, a part of the country where Democrats have power, where Democrats should be passing laws. That makes sure that the more that that uh, that the more people possible are have access to the to the, to the franchise on election day. But um, a lot of these things, like same day registration, don't really exist in Northeast and uh, across in 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 a lot of states. So um, in many states, the deadline to register is is um, is fairly early mm-hmm. in 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 the time of the year where people are starting to tune in the political process, mm-hmm. like. Uh, uh, a lot of people aren't paying attention exactly to what's happening in the general election, you know, in um, in the summer, in the spring, or even in the early fall. And and we know in the states that have late registration, senators, we know that tens of thousands of people do register to vote on the day of the election if that is if if, if that is available. So we know that this is a very important policy to implement, and we know also this to be true because Republicans are trying to get rid of it in states <laughs> where where in states where this exists. Right. Um, so so in there, there's a whole bunch of states where where this would be really a prior priority. I'm going to just mention one, which is a, a New York State, and the reason I'm mentioning it is that this was actually an issue in the Democratic primary in the spring, where there was a controversy about how late people had to have. How early people had to have registered to vote mm-hmm. um, in order to vote in the Democratic primary. This became an issue. So this is just one example of the kind of thing that has to be addressed in um, the coming year. Isn't isn't it arguable that uh, yeah in in New York in the primaries in order to vote in the primary, which I think was in March or April of uh, 2016, you had to sign up, you had to register to vote by October the uh, the year before, and you had to know which yeah. party. You wanted to uh, register for in that time before the uh, before the candidates had even announced if they were running or not. But in a state like uh, New York, Daniel, which is by and large controlled by Republicans, uh, doesn't it suggest the fact that they don't have this? Doesn't it suggest there's a reason they don't want this, that they don't want Um, same day registration? Yeah, I mean, the, the, in, in a lot of the states in the Northeast, it's not so much that lots have been changed recently as much as as much as the states have not really updated or reformed their voting laws for a very long time. 
Um, okay. So it's not so much that there's been a, a backtracking on things like voter registration as much as the status quo has not been improved. Um, and, uh, and a lot of states have an infrastructure in place to vote on election day that like, maybe states that have more early voting or mail voting will not have. So the situation is different in every state. But um, but that, that, that said, it, uh, the Republican Party has had a seat of, um, a, a seat of power in New York State, for instance, um, for, for a long time because it controls one of the state chambers. I, um, but but across, the north, across the Northeast and Democratic states, those policies don't exist. It's just, it just hasn't been in the culture of the, of the lo- local uh, Democratic parties to, um, to, 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 to expand the franchise to this, to, to this extent. I mean, the, uh, the, historically, the, the, the voting rights battles have been fought as as strongly in, in the Northeast as anywhere else anywhere mm-hmm. else in the country in terms of suffrage for women mm-hmm. in terms of the civil rights movement um, and 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 so you know it's not it's, it's not because uh, I and I'm actually been get, uh, getting a lot of questions in recent days since my article as to why we should care that much about voting rights in blue states since they're blue anyway right um, which. Uh, yes. Which maybe people in California might wonder as well. There's, you know, there's so much to care about at the lo- local level to make sure everyone who's, who's their franchise gets to vote. Yep. That this is just something that um, the, Demo- the, the, the Democratic Party establishment, if they are the ones who are, uh, are blocking these reforms, has to be um, fought just as much as the Republican Party establishment. Yeah, of course they do. And and by the way, just so you know, uh, Daniel, we're, we're everywhere. We're all over the country, all over the world with this yeah. show. Actually, not just in California, but. And uh, since we cover voting rights a lot on this show, to me, uh, as I always say, these are not matters of right and left. These are matters of right and wrong. I don't care who gets screwed by uh, uh, the election law. You know, we ought to be and and good progressives, I think, ought to be making that case everywhere that this is not about, uh, you know, winning more elections for Democrats. This is the fundamental right uh, that undergirds all the rights in this country, the right to vote. And, uh, yeah, Democrats are just, they don't take it as seriously as they really should, and then they end up uh, playing uh, defensive. All right, let's talk about... Ex- Absolutely. And, yeah. and, 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 and to answer, to get back to what you just said um, before, it is that in um, a law like the one in New York where you have to have registered to vote, five or six months in advance in the right party to then vote in the primary, mm-hmm. it gives a lot of control to the state party. It gives a lot of control to the, to the party establishment to, um, and to candidates who have the backing of the organization to have done a certain amount of work early enough mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and to avoid a certain, sort of, a certain number of surprises that can happen if voting is made easier enough, if, right. if, if you can register to vote the same day, you know, or, or even within the last five months. And, and, um, and, and I think those are not good reasons to prevent people from voting. No, they're not. Uh, but I, but you make a case that that's exactly why they exist. I mean, in one case, you can say, oh, the, the laws have been around so long and it's a democratic state, so they haven't bothered to change it. But it does give them a certain control to not just, you know, make sure Democrats are in, but the right Democrats are in. It mm-hmm. gives them that measure. All right, let, let's uh, move on to uh, a couple of others here. You talk about expanding, uh, not just making it easier for people to vote, um, but expanding the number of people who are eligible to vote. And this has been, uh, been a big issue on this show, restoring felons voting rights. You write that in four southern states uh, with severe disenfranchisement laws, Florida, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Virginia, the share of disenfranchised black adults surpasses 20 percent 
more than double that of white adults, which is remarkable. And yet you've got places now we might expect that in the South, but you've got uh, uh, places uh, where uh, progressives and and state groups uh, could restore voting rights uh, for felons, even in places like California out here. Um, Mm -hmm. Why should Democrats tolerate any felon disenfranchisement? And I mean any, uh, Daniel. I mean, why shouldn't someone who is actually in jail, who is most in prison, most affected by the laws of the state and the federal government, why shouldn't they have the right to vote as well? I think they should. Uh, They they absolutely should. And the situation of felon enfranchisement in this country right now is... is an emergency. The, uh, the number you said alone, that in four states in the South, one in five black eligible adults is not enfranchised. And, and when we know the state of the inequities of, of the criminal justice system today, because we are all uh, reading about it, to combine that set of information we have about the inequities of the criminal justice system with the severe felon um, enfranchisement laws in some states, in, in almost all states, um, this, this is this is really an emergency situation. The numbers are are really stunning in some states, but but really in every state there is a, a large inequity between the rate of uh, of everyone and the rate of enfranchisement of African Americans in particular. And those are very uh, worrisome numbers for anyone who cares about the the racial inequalities in access to voting. Um, in the U.S. And, in the U.S. today, and where are the Democratic states that could be that that could take action right now on this issue, uh, where they control both the the state house and well, the governor? Really, uh, Actually, in it, every state. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I mean, as far as uh-huh. where, where they have the control to do yeah. it, and, and I guess um, in this state, uh, in this case, you've got uh, often governors don't even need a uh, the, the assembly. They don't need the state house. A lot of governors can just reenfranchise on their own. Yeah. Since I've spent some time saying that the uh, Democratic Party does not see the opportunities it had, uh, Governor Terry McAuliffe of Virginia right. has made this a huge priority of, of his governorship this year. After Republicans in the state house and the st- in the Supreme Court of the state tried to block him from enfranchising as a group all of the Virginians who had already um, finished their sentence, he started signing mm-hmm. a- individual executive orders for every person who he wanted to enfranchise, to, uh, to enfranchise them. So that is the type of template I'm talking about when I'm talking about a proactive voting rights agenda, where Democrats have to get inventive, they have to get imaginative, mm-hmm. to, to really start getting things done to really fix the situation where it should be fixed. But really, in almost every state other than Maine and Vermont, which are the two um, states that have no laws that, that, that disenfranchise um, felons or ex-felons, in every other state, there are hundreds of thousands of people combined, a total of six million, that are being disenfranchised right now. So that affects um, every state in which Democrats right now have the governorship and the, the state house where they could pass um, laws or constitutional amendments or referendums in the coming years to start fixing this, this situation. So, so that includes California, mm-hmm. that includes um, that includes every state where, where they win the governorship um, in the coming years. Um, and I think the biggest thing that could happen in my entire list is Democrats winning the governor's mansion in Florida. Because Florida is the main culprit in, yeah. this, in, this, in this issue. 1.5 million 
people in Florida who have already finished their sentence or have not been enfranchised. That's that's 25% of the entire group of people in the country that have been disenfranchised are just in Florida. And if a governor was elected there, executive actions would have to be a priority of that person. So I think this also has to be a very important issue. In the primary in Florida, um, in the uh, Democratic Party, this has to be an issue that is addressed among the candidates as to whether they are committed to taking some sort of major action on this issue in Florida in 2018. And and let me just underscore that. 1.5 million individuals who have already completed their sentences. They're not we're not talking about those people sitting in prison. We're talking about people who are already out. 28% of them uh, you write are African Americans. That's a huge voting block. Understandably, that's w- uh, pr- uh, directly why Republicans don't want to re-enfranchise those people. But it should be pointed out Charlie Crist um, uh, yeah. The previous, he was a Republican governor at the time. He actually did try to re-enfranchise uh, uh, former felons, and that was rolled back once uh, once uh, Rick Scott, the new, uh, well, the, the next Republican governor, came in and rolled it back and, and hasn't taken many steps to do anything about it since then. Yeah. I'm speaking with Daniel Nishanian a uh, postdoctoral student at the University of, uh, I should say, a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Chicago and a contributor to 538.com and Daily Coast Elections on how uh, Democrats right now can take proactive steps rather than being on the defensive when it comes to voting rights. They can take these steps in states around the country even as Donald Trump and the Republicans at the federal level run roughshod over uh, over voting rights. Uh, all right, Daniel, let, let's well, an issue that I'm not sure I agree with you on. I don't think I agree with a lot of uh, Democrats and progressives on this one, but making it easier to vote by mail, whether or not you need to implementing all mail voting. Go ahead and make the argument for that. And and then we'll see what I have to say about it. <laughs> Um, for all mail voting, I I actually um, didn't didn't delve that much into all mail voting mm-hmm. in my article because I think that in states that have picked up a culture of mail voting, that is a, that uh, that is an important step that mm-hmm. uh, that can be taken, including California, um, because California already conducts so much of its elections by mail. But I think in states that have extremely little amount of mail voting already, it would not necessarily be a good step because people tend to want to use the ways of voting that they're used to. Mm. And and that's part of what the Republican Party has been after to try and remove ways of voting that people have been used to. And so I am not necessarily trying to advocate for mail voting, uh, for all mail voting, the idea of all mail voting being to really try to unprivilege the idea of voting on election day Mm -hmm. in person and really privilege mail voting. So the idea is not to um, switch the entire system at the country level. But in states like California, the extra step California could take is to send a ballot to every uh, registered voter um, or, or even every eligible voter if we combined automatic voting registration and all-mail voting, then the state could send a ballot to every eligible voter, right? Um, I, I think that is a step that makes a lot of sense to make sure to reach out to every voter in the state and making sure to encourage them to participate, in, especially voters who might be homebound or have a disability mm-hmm. 
or um, or all sorts of reasons that might prevent or or or, or have to work, right? Yeah. <laughs> or all sorts of reasons that might prevent them from going to the polls and wait and 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 wait in line, which and, is often what we're seeing. And I know a lot of people, every time this comes up, I hear from folks in Oregon who absolutely love their all-male uh, uh, elections. Right. Uh, and I do know that people do love them uh, when they have them. I have concerns because we cover a lot of issues concerning voting systems and voting machines and black box voting. And uh, as I point out, sometimes, you know, dropping a uh, a ballot in the mailbox is often the blackest box of them all. And, uh, you know, some uh, while Republicans, you know, pretend there is massive voter fraud going on around the country, there absolutely isn't. But where it does exist, where actual voter fraud exists, it does tend to exist in absentee voting, being able to buy and sell votes, uh, people changing your uh, uh, ballots as they show up in the mail and, and other things. So uh, that's why I'm apprehensive about it at best uh, when it comes to all uh, all mail elections. But I do agree enabling, you know, no excuse absentee voting for people who, you know, who can't afford to wait hours in line, who have to work that day. And yet, you note, Daniel, there are 20 states, many of them states where Democrats uh, have the influence to change this, like Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, Delaware, Rhode Island, where they don't have no excuse absentee voting either. Is that another uh, case like we talked about before that sort of the establishment likes it that way because it can have more control over the process? I, I think what's what's stunning about um, this, about the states, some of the states you mentioned um, um, in mm-hmm. the Northeast is they don't have in-person early voting and they do not have no excuse absentee voting right. and they do not have Sunday voting and they don't have weekend voting and they basically have voting on a, on a Tuesday of obviously in a, mm-hmm. in a weekday right. and that's pretty much it and that is not acceptable in the situation where people have to work in a country that doesn't necessarily offer the best um the the, the best rights for a worker or an employee mm-hmm. to take time off um that that is just an unacceptable situation um the, the, the fact that all, all of these things are combined yeah. in some of the states um is and and that where people only have the the, the work day to vote on a on a work day that is not a acceptable situation i i i am not sure what explains the the history of of this region's um mm-hmm. reluctance to embrace ways of running elections that other states have followed there uh, there is definitely a movement starting in places like new york to to make voting smoother, more smoother as well, and and some combination of what I just mentioned, um, weekend voting, Sunday voting, and no absentee voting has to be adopted in those states to get away from this uh, weekday voting um, pattern. Yep. Uh, and uh, I got to get out here, uh, Daniel. But uh, there's more in the uh, Vox.com article about. Uh, how to make it easier for people to vote early and in person, uh, extending weekend voting and uh, w- weekend voting days and extended hours and so forth. Uh, a lot of good ideas. And again, I'm, you know, I wanted to point this out and and bring you on when I saw this article because it is something. You got a lot of Democrats wringing their hands right now. A lot of progressives wringing their hands, uh, worried about the Trump era as well. They should be. But there are things that can be done on the state level. And that's why your article is is so important. Daniel Nishanian. By the way, before I let you go, 
since you have a, a, a heavy accent here, we're talking about voting, and actually one of your ideas has to do with uh, non-citizen voting. I just want to make sure. Am I speaking to an American here, uh, Mr. Nishanian? Or, or, uh... uh, yes, I'm, yes uh, I am. Um, I am a U.S. citizen, though I was born um, abroad, and I moved to the U.S. Um, uh, as a child and became an, uh, an American after that. Okay. I just want to make sure we've got no foreign interlopers trying to change our uh, election laws here in the U.S. Uh, Daniel uh, Nishanian, a great speaking with you. Really appreciate it. And I really do appreciate your work on uh, Twitter's. Uh, everyone should follow him at Taniel. That's T-A-N-I-E-L on the Twitters and also his work at 538.com and Daily Coast Elections. In addition, of course, to checking out his piece his big idea piece at Vox.com headlined The Voting Rights Manifesto, a state-by-state plan to defend democracy. Uh, Daniel, great speaking with you. Thanks for joining us uh, here, and uh, ha- happy holidays to you, my friend. Thank you so much. Happy holidays to you as well. Thank you, sir. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Well, the good news, Desi Doyen. Yes. The Arctic has not completely melted uh, before uh, the end of the year, before you take off for a holiday break. That is good news. See, I'm always finding the bright side, ain't I? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That, of course, is... Desi Doyen, and uh, well, we'll uh, let's get right to it here because I got some follow-up I want to talk to you about our latest Green News report. President Obama is trying to secure his environmental legacy. Obama bans offshore drilling in large parts of the Arctic and the Atlantic. Man-made change is the cause. NOAA confirms climate change turbocharged 24 extreme events last year. New poll shows majority of Trump voters support regulating carbon emissions, plus what Trump can't change. Solar energy, now the cheapest energy in the world. Oh, he'll figure out how to screw it up. All of that and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. You know, the environment's one of these issues the American people don't really want to talk about. Really? Are you sure about that, Joe Scarborough? Or is it just a self-fulfilling prophecy? 
Think about that during your next commercial break, sponsored by ExxonMobil. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, before you get to your news, uh, it's happening again for the second year in a row in late December. The temperatures in the Arctic will be freakishly high, 40 to 50 degrees warmer than normal, approaching the uh, 32 degrees, which is the melting point for ice. This is just insane. But, you know, Joe Scarborough thinks Americans don't want to talk about it. Well, something else Scarborough probably doesn't want to talk about. 2016 is likely to go down in history as the hottest year on record globally, almost certain. The numbers won't be in until mid-January, but it marks the third year in a row that global temperatures have hit the hottest year on record since record-keeping began in the 1880s. Did I mention it was 40 to 50 degrees warmer than normal in the Arctic? Yes, I think you did. Another clear signal of man-made global warming caused by burning fossil fuels. And another signal, a new report from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration confirms that global warming turbocharged at least 24 out of 30 extreme weather events around the world in 2015, showing measurable and detectable influences of climate change. That's according to NOAA scientist James Partain here in an interview with Alaska Public Radio. This paper that we developed shows unequivocally that man-made change is the cause of why 2015 was such a serious event. Shut up. Americans don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Well, among some of those events that were amplified by global warming were the record 2015 typhoon season in the Pacific, Alaska's record-breaking wildfire season, sunny day flooding in Miami, and more catastrophic rain and flooding events around the world. La 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 la, I can't hear you. Meanwhile, a new U.S. poll finds that a majority of Trump voters support climate action. What? The first post-election poll by Morning Consult found that 61% of Trump voters believe that the government should cut the nation's carbon emissions using regulations. 55% support maintaining current policies to combat climate change, and 76% support increasing energy efficiency standards for appliances. They just don't want to talk about it or vote on it. In a last-minute gift to the planet, President Obama has issued a permanent ban on offshore drilling in U.S. waters in the Arctic and off the Atlantic coast. The move preserves millions of acres of pristine marine habitat in both regions that are crucial to the ocean food web, and it's under the authority of an obscure provision in the 1953 Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act. The ban is not entirely Trump-proof, but overturning it will be difficult and time-consuming for the incoming Trump administration. In his final press conference of 2016, President Obama highlighted just some of the climate, energy, and environmental successes of his presidency. We've cut our dependence on foreign oil by more than half doubled production of renewable energy. None of these actions stifled growth, as critics predicted. Instead, the stock market has nearly tripled. Through diplomacy, we brought nearly 200 nations together around a climate agreement that could very well save this planet for our kids. Braggart. Much of Obama's environment and climate agenda can be unwound by Republicans and the incoming Trump administration, but there's something they can't change. Renewable energy has now outpaced fossil fuel energy, and solar energy is now the cheapest form of energy in the world. That's according to a new analysis from Bloomberg Energy, which found that in China, India, Brazil, and more than 50 other developing countries, the cost of solar energy 
energy since 2010 has dropped by more than 60 percent, making solar cheaper even than wind, and especially coal and natural gas. Well, that news is a good holiday present indeed. For much more on that and all of the other stories we covered and couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. We'll be taking a few days off for the holidays. We will see you after the new year. My thanks to all of those who support what we do here by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. It is greatly appreciated, more than you can ever know. Thank you. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. Happy holidays to you and yours. We'll see you in 2017. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your year-end Green News Report. Everything's gonna be all right. It's gonna be all right. Right? Hope so. Going to keep trying, no matter what happens. I'm noticing in the uh, Arctic, uh, 40 to 50 degrees above normal, as I mentioned, uh, some of the forecast maps uh, don't even have the color bars for the the temperatures that are going on up in the Arctic. Uh, And the uh, sea ice is at a record low uh, over a period of five days. Uh, the Arctic usually gains ice in, in November, but over a period of five days, it saw 19,000 square miles of ice cover vanish. Yeah. Noah said it was almost unprecedented. And the month of November, by the way, in the Arctic was uh, an incredible 18 degrees warmer than normal uh, across as an average across the entire month. The uh, National Snow and Ice data said so uh, kind of amazing. This stuff matters. That's why I wanted to start off this show with that jackass from Fox News saying that none of this was going on. It's all a mirage. Lying about it. Let's be clear. Totally lying about it. Totally lying about it. That's exactly right. Okay, we got to get out. Uh, No more lies. Only truth ahead from our guest host coming up. My thanks in advance to our guest host, Nicole Sandler and Angie Coiro will be in for you for the next few days. Uh, We will be standing down, but I uh, hope for all of you that you have a happy and healthy and somehow peaceful holiday. Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, New Year's, whatever it is that you're celebrating. Even if you celebrate nothing. Have a great and safe period of time. And a peaceful one, (laughs) indeed. Uh, Thank you, Desi Doyen. uh, And my thanks to all of you who have, uh, all of the listeners who have helped us uh, continue to do what we do here on the Bradcast day in and day out by stopping at bradblog.com slash donate. It is greatly appreciated and very much needed. My thanks also to my guest today, Daniel Nishanian of Vox.com. Be sure to check out his article uh, over there, The Voting Rights Manifesto, A State-by-State Plan to Defend Democracy. Because someone's gotta. You can drop me email if you like. I'll uh, look at it maybe next year. I don't know. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, find us, follow us, like us, and share us widely. You can find me there at the Bradblog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Have a safe, peaceful, and wonderful holiday. And good luck, world.